You're listening to The Pastor's Cut, a podcast from Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's material that influences, shapes, and informs, but gets cut from the final preach. That's why we started The Pastor's Cut, to give you a chance to go behind the scenes and access the content that informs the teaching at Park each week. If you're wanting to grow in your understanding of and fascination with the Bible, you've come to the right place. This is The Pastor's Cut, and I'm your host, Sharon Brandis. Hey y'all, this is Trevor Lovell. I'm one of the pastors at Park Community Church, standing in for Sharon Brandis this week. She will be back next week, but she is currently off in Spain on a cross-cultural ministry trip. So she is doing the Lord's work, and uh, she'll be back in no time. So I'm here with Jackson Crum, and uh, Jackson, thanks for being with us. Can you just give us a little intro into who you are and what your role is here at Park? Yeah, I've been at Park for 15 years. I'm the lead pastor, and right now I'm focused primarily on Near North. I've been married to Donna. Great lady for 39 years, Trevor. Uh-huh. That woman deserves a medal. And probably <laughs> the best thing you can say about me these days is I'm a grandfather uh-huh. and I love being a granddad. Yeah. Yeah. You actually, Megan was telling me that you gave a shout out to one of your grandkids in the sermon. This I past did. Year. I did. My five year old granddaughter and I were talking and she didn't think I would do it. Yeah. She wouldn't think I would call call her out. So I said, yo, busy baby. Yeah. And so she'll hear that whenever they post it today or tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, for those of us who are, for those of the listeners who are at different locations this weekend, apart from you preached at Near North and Lincoln Park, can you give just kind of a quick recap of the sermon? Absolutely. We did Exodus 1 and 2, the beginning of the book. In the beginning of the book, really, the theme of the book is God moves from a family to a nation. God raises up a family, but he wants a nation that will give him glory and then declare his glory to the other nations. But what happens in the midst of Exodus is that it says a new pharaoh shows up, that Joseph, who mm-hmm. uh, had done this great work in Egypt, had been forgotten. And this pharaoh was in very threatened by this large group, close probably to a million people of uh, uh, Hebrews or Israelites who were in the land of Egypt. And so he sought to oppress them, to bring them into slavery, because he didn't want them to turn against him if a conquering army was coming in. He also wanted to slow down their their reproduction. So he thought, if I keep them busy, I overwhelm them, they won't be able to flourish in that way. But yet, because God said, I'm going to create a nation, we read in that first chapter that they continue to flourish Uh and they continue to have kids. And then what Pharaoh did is that he then turned to murder. He said, all right, I'm going to murder Mm -hmm. all little boys. And when the two midwives who were responsible to bring this about said, no, we fear God and don't fear you, Mm -hmm. he said, okay, then I'm going to ask the nation, the the nation of Egypt then to do this. If you find a little Hebrew boy under, uh, it's a baby boy, then you are to toss him into the Nile and have him drowned. Mm. But again, what we see is that Moses was rescued out of this, that Pharaoh's mm-hmm. daughter came and rescued him out of the water. Mm-hmm. And then about 40 years old, the book of Acts tells us, about 40 years old, we now see Moses as a man, and he steps out, and he sees two. He sees a Hebrew being uh, powered up on and beaten by an Egyptian, and it says his heart goes out to him. He begins to relate to his people, mm. and he goes and he kills the Egyptian to be able to free up the the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, it says he steps out. And now he sees two Hebrews fighting each other, two Israelites fighting each other, and he steps in to separate them. And one says to him, "Hey, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday?" Which he didn't think anybody saw. 
So he now knows he's in deep trouble because he, as an Israelite, a Hebrew, had killed an Egyptian. So he runs for his life, Mm -hmm. and he goes to Midian, which is several days' journey away. He tries to separate himself as far as he can from Pharaoh in that day. Mm. And he he meets a man called the priest of Midian who had seven daughters, and he settles in there. He gets married to one of these daughters, has a son, and now he leads us to the rest of the book. But what's key is that the last part of chapter 2, starting in verse 23, summarizes for us. It says that the Hebrews groaned, they cried out, and God heard their prayer, Mm -hmm. and God saw them, and God knew them, God remembered and it was a way of saying to us that God is now going to re-engage in their story. God is going to step in and do something significant, mm-hmm. and he's going to use this guy Moses to okay. do it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of going to use Moses to do what Moses had already tried to do, but didn't, didn't go so well for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe not in the best way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, Jackson, I mean, I heard your sermon this past uh, on Saturday night, and obviously you love history, and you include a lot of that detail in with it. And uh, you know the maps is part of part of your preaching style. Where do you get all of that stuff from? Even the maps. I do a lot of research on the maps to find ones that fit. If I can, I try to use it out of the ESV Study Bible because I know a lot of people have it. Okay. And so it's like to remind them, hey, this is there. You know, if you read yeah. your Bible, you're going to come across this map. Yeah. But if not, I'll try to do research to find one that's a good fit because it fascinates me. I'm a visual learner. Yeah. I also like reading a lot of Hebrew sources or Jewish sources. Yeah. You know, so for this message, I read several Jewish sources mm-hmm. that talked about the history and, d- and dug into a little bit of some things I'd never heard before, thought about. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, what I'll try to do then, if I read something that seems unusual, I'll try to make sure it's in another source. Yeah. You know that it's that it's a typical truth, just not known to me, yeah. versus some obscure thing that may not be true. Uh-huh. But but I find that's interesting to me. You know, there's a background. It's a great story in and of itself. Yeah. But to make it three-dimensional in some ways, if you're able to pull some of these pieces out, it makes it even a richer story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It makes it come to life, and you can relate with the characters more. I know even uh, like with the map, seeing how far away Midian is yeah. shows the... You know, Moses really, he, did, he wasn't just gone for the weekend. He was gone for a long time. <laughs> right. That's good insight. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the Jewish sources, actually, a few weeks ago, you set up a meeting with, uh, with a few of us, with one of your friends, the rabbi who's a follower of Jesus. And mm-hmm. hearing the Jewish perspective on the book of Exodus, it was fascinating. Yeah. yeah right? You and I, mm-hmm. we hadn't heard some of that stuff, yeah. you know, being goy, being Gentiles. You know, yeah. there's, that's not stuff we grew up around mm-hmm. where that is his story. Yeah. You know, that's his history. Yeah. It's our common history because we're followers mm-hmm. of God, you know, but it's his personal history. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty cool stuff. And so in your research and kind of putting together the sermon and all of that, what are some of the things that kind of got left on the table that, that got cut? Yeah, two, two big things, Trevor. One is, you know, my big, a big point for me was God starts with a family and he moves toward a nation, and we didn't have a chance to really unpack where this family started. And one of the things that's interesting when you read the book of Genesis is that you'll notice that 12 chapters are committed to Abraham, 12 chapters are committed to Jacob, and 12 chapters are committed to Joseph, but only a few to Isaac, Mm -hmm. which is interesting to me, which is Isaac's, it's it's the writer's way of communicating Isaac wasn't a major character (laughs) in this, and he kind of passing through. So you have Abraham and Abraham's son, Isaac, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then he had a son named Joseph. But you know what else you find is that very typical God, he, t- he turns things upside down. 
He takes the second son. He takes the 11th son, which you would expect in that culture to have been the first son that would have passed on to seed, have been the first son where the blessing would have come. But it's so true of God that he turns things upside down like that. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that continuing in the gospel, you know, that God, God's blessing to us is not because we've earned it, deserve it, or we have a, a certain place. It's because of God's kindness that he chooses to give that to us. And yeah. so the unfolding of the story, and especially the story of Joseph, who is one of the several sons of Jacob, who was, uh, the, the guy, his brothers were jealous of him. You know, he comes to, he's sl- sold into slavery. He ends up in jail because he's falsely accused of something. And he interprets two dreams, but then he's forgotten by these guys. Well, one of those is killed, but the other one that he says, you know, hey, remember me. And the guy forgets him yeah. until he's, the king has a dream that needs interpreting. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember this guy in jail that I met. And that God uses things that seem that are for evil. You know, Joseph's brothers intended this for evil, but as it says in, in Genesis, God used it for good to secure this family, a place where they could come to Egypt and they could flourish That'd be one. The other one is the theme of complaining. Yeah. You can see in, in chapter one, of course, they're complaining because they're suffering. They're under slavery. They're groaning. Their life is bitter because of the harshness of Pharaoh and the way Pharaoh is treating them. But you would think once they get into freedom, once they're released, that we're going to read about in the next couple of weeks, that the complaining would stop. No. No. They are world-class complainers. I mean, if it's an Olympic sport, the Israelites are gold medal winners, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they complain about God. They complain about Moses. They complain about the food. They complain they have this. They complain they don't have that. I mean, they just complain. And we're going to read more and more of that. We didn't have really time to kind of address that and to unpack that. But the thing that hit me is that I want to say, well, they're such complainers. I'd never be that way. And I am. I complain too. Yeah. And really, complaining comes from I have expectations for God to do things a certain way. Yeah. And God says, you know what? In my sovereignty, I have a plan. And thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not asking you. I'm yeah. not consulting with you. <laughs> I'm going to get this thing covered. Mm-hmm. But when it doesn't go according to my plan, I'm going to gripe. I'm going to complain. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Kind of the, you know, the end of Genesis finishes up with that story of Joseph, him getting like a, a significant section of the book for him. And then you come into Exodus and Joseph, like you said, he struggles with all this, all these things happen to him. And uh, you don't get a sense that he complained a whole lot through it, that he, he gets to the end of the book and is able to say that, that you, it was brothers who sold him into slavery, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. So somehow he got to that place, whereas, uh, you know, you read through the book of Exodus and the people complaining kind of over and over and over again. Like you're saying, we can do the same things. You know, is there is there anything that you think of or maybe that you practice that, um, you know, things don't always go well in life. There's always things to complain about. But what are ways that we can grow in uh, maybe not complaining, ways of growing and being thankful? You know, several years ago, I was going through a difficult season and my my mom picked up on it. I don't know how to share it with her. She just, you know, it's one of those things you, when I saw my mom, she goes, what's wrong? You know, what's the matter? I go, no, I'm really good. No, something's up. And then she just said to me, without me going into a lot of detail about what was happening, she just said, you know, every day there's a joy moment. What she meant was every day God reveals himself to you in a, in, in a way. You need to remember that. And so I took that to heart. And so I started my next day of journaling, and I journal almost every day, is that I'll end my journal entry with the word joy, a dash, and then thinking about yesterday, where did I see God show up yesterday? It might be in a conversation. It might be in something that I experienced. You know, it might be, seriously, it might be stepping out into nature and and being overwhelmed with the sunset or whatever and just going, you know, way to go, God. Beautiful handiwork. 
And then you can go back and you can flip through the pages and go, look where God has met me. Look how God has revealed himself to me. God has been faithful to me. Yeah. And if God's been faithful to me in the past, I know I can trust him to be faithful with, to me in the future. And it truly slows down my complaining. Mm-hmm. It truly enables me to stop complaining. That doesn't mean I don't ever complain. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it slows down my complaining because I remember, you know what? God's in control. He's got this thing figured out Yeah. on my best days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see how that's a good practice because it'd be so easy to go through life and missing those things, not noticing how they stack up and how God really is doing things every day. Uh, but if you're not intentional to notice it, you know, it just kind of slips by. Yeah, every day, every mm-hmm. day, because God's fingerprints are all over our life, because we're his children, mm-hmm. and he delights in revealing his goodness to us, and how often do we miss it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, Jackson, this was probably the best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Trevor. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so uh, thanks for being with us. He says that because I was teasing him earlier about that, saying, Trevor, now you need to say this is the best sermon you ever heard, so yeah. thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I hope that shows up in my performance review. <laughs> <laughs> so marked. Yeah, so thanks for being with us. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, look forward to the rest of the summer going through Exodus. Trevor, may I say, I think it's a great idea. You kind of initiated this, and you got your team sitting here with us, and I just want to say, great idea, way to go. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Pastor's Cut podcast to stay updated with each week's episode. We hope you'll tune in next week as we hear from our Forest Glen pastor, Dan Osborne. But don't miss the original sermon and join us on either Saturday or Sunday at one of our locations across the city. For more information, be sure to download the Park app. We'll see you next week.